Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is a portion of episode 88 of our Demoralized Democracy. If this is your first time checking out the show, just wanted to say we do monthly live streams, and what you're listening to is a portion of that live stream. So we've got six episodes in this block, and I hope you enjoy it. Let me know your comments. Make sure you subscribe at bitawake.com. And before we get into it, because of when I'm recording this, I just want to wish everybody who's listening, who celebrates a Merry Christmas, and of course, I wish everybody a Happy New Year. I hope 2024 brings us many exciting stories that we get to unpack here at the Project for Better Science Making. So in this episode, like I said, six segments. Starting out, we're going to talk a little bit about my changing politics and the analysis, the mode of analysis I use, how that differs from where I would have been in the past. The second segment of the episode is about Dear Patriot, No Identity for You. I talk about a piece I wrote, Dear Patriot, You're Supposed to Be Demoralized, and I tie that into a larger conversation about Israel-Palestine and who gets to have an identity in the West. I think it's an interesting thing to examine, given especially the, uh, the conflict in the Middle East. Then we move into all the worst elements of narrative journalism. We, we analyze that dead spin story of a hit piece on a nine-year-old boy because he decided to wear face paint to an NFL game and just how much that shows us about what is a decaying media uh, ecosystem. But it still has a lot of power and that's why we need to keep an eye on it. We also talk a little bit about Ibram X. Kennedy, and we also talk about Elon Musk in that episode, so make sure you check that one out. Then we move into a quick conversation about Argentina, uh, Spain, and Ireland, some recent unrest and up and election changes there that are very interesting from a geopolitical perspective, but might be lost in the day-to-day coverage of most of the shows that you listen to. We'll spend a little bit of time on the GOP debate, that's 88.5 and then 88.6. I want to, I, I try to tackle a little bit of a question of, are we dealing with an immigration at the moment at the southern border right now? Are we dealing with an invasion? Is it something else? I think there's an important conversation to be had here that most people aren't willing or interested in having. So I hope you join me on that. And then we also do our little roundup at the end there. We have some fun stories about Gavin Newsom cleaning up San Francisco. Why? Because he can. And also dating in your 30s. So I hope you like this episode. If you would, if this is your first time listening, please subscribe on whatever platform you're on, and then go to binawake.com. Subscribe with your email. It's the best way to keep in contact. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. If you would be so kind as to indulge me, we're going to start with um, we're going to start with an article I wrote uh, at binawake.com, where it's and as you can kind of see from the thing here, as I pull up this article, it the headline reads, "Dear Patriot, you're supposed to be demoralized." This is going to give us a better, give you a better idea of what I what I'm trying to say in these conversations. The breakout of war, yet again in the Holy Land, has further shaken an already destabilized world. Only three years removed from a pandemic where we bore witness to political elites forcing businesses to close, unless you were McDonald's turn normal human interaction into a moral taboo, unless you were like, you know, invited to Obama's birthday party or something, and ran a medical experiment at an unprecedented scale. 
that's those are the things that we witnessed. We witnessed a massive medical experiment at an unprecedented scale. You can quibble over the words if you want, but here we're we're on we're here on the show to establish a narrative. And then when the average person could no longer ignore that what was done was neither safe nor effective, there came a war. See, there's nothing historically speaking, there's nothing like a good war to unite a people. And certainly, the leaders in politics, media, and culture transferred all their energy into convincing the American people the most important thing for taxpayer dollars was and is to fund a proxy war against Russia. As I said on Been Awake with LB at the time, this conflict was preventable. But simultaneously, it was in line with the goals envisioned of a deranged political class who wasted one of the greatest moments in modern history a.k.a. the fall of communism, and refused to accept any change to the world as it exists. Let's remind ourselves, the borders a government defends are its external borders. And from this, we understand the elites in Washington, D.C. do not have a care for the rising migrant crisis, but instead want to fund an ethnic conflict against one of the only countries on Earth who could wipe every major U.S. city off the map. A patriot would understand from this that peace is the better path, but not the progressive world order funding politicians. We stand now almost two years into the conflict, the conflict in Ukraine and Russia, and almost nothing has changed. And the mission has not been accomplished. And it's important we remember what that mission is. See, there are many levels to a complicated story many, many levels that we should all pay attention to. One of those is that this is a war for democracy, right? That's often what's talked about, that this is a war for democracy, for the very soul of democratic governments. I've talked multiple times on the show how a theme throughout the Biden administration has been this juxtaposition of functioning liberal democracies and authoritarian dictators. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, you'll know that I'm a little wary of the word dictator because I've realized that the word dictator has, says a lot more emotionally than it does descriptively. And to translate it very simply for you here today, a dictator basically means a world leader that the U.S. government doesn't like, certainly from the perspective of our, of our conversation here today. This is not to say there aren't dictatorial leaders across the world, that there aren't leaders who do bad things to their people. In fact, such is the nature of most governments. But it is to say that we should be careful when we use such hmm, imprecise terms in our political rhetoric. And you need to understand, as you consume the media landscape, that these words are used to manipulate you at a fundamental level. See, that's what skepticism provides us as a constant check against our biases. So what has been and continues to be the mission in the Ukraine-Russia conflict? It's not to save democracy, because if we were interested in saving democracy, we might be pushing Zelensky to, I don't know, hold elections or not arrest priests and nuns and not ban political opposition parties and not bring all the media under the control of the government. 
if we were really concerned about a free and open democracy, we, we might talk about those things. But we don't. We talk about how Ukraine is defending democracy against the authoritarian horde, a.k.a. the Russians, a.k.a. the Soviets, a.k.a. those people who, for a large portion of the country, were bred and brought up to despise for many, many years. And, of course, that it was reinforced during the whole Russia, Russia, Russia narrative in the Trump administration. But none of that answers what the mission is in Ukraine for the United States. Because there is a stated mission. And if you've listened carefully to some politicians, you would have noticed it by now. If you listened to the show, you would know it as well because we covered it. I know for a fact. The mission, the stated mission for the military is to degrade the capacity of the Russians to fight a future conflict. It has nothing to do with a traditional victory and everything to do with this esoteric notion that by funding sectarian, basically, you know, intra-ethnic conflict in an area whose borders have never been well-defined, historically speaking, these are just facts, that it's better to do that in the hopes that our stated enemy, right, the stated enemy of the United States government, Russia, would lose their capacity to project their influence. And what's been and what's been the results of that? What's actually been the results of this? The results of this is the Russian economy hasn't suffered. In some respects, it's stronger. And in that it's been separated from the U.S. hegemony, if you will, they've actually been able to reassert themselves. And if memory serves, the ruble is stronger today than it was in the past. At least it's stronger one year, 1.5 year into the conflict is than it was at the beginning of it. So the mission has been a total failure. But that was, has been the stated mission of our government. While surely there are Russians who oppose the conflict, the Russian economy has not suffered in the way our political class predicted. And even top Ukrainian officials have begun to doubt their fearless comedian turned president. So what have our leaders done as the projection of U.S. strength weakens and the American people notice everything is more expensive as we send billions more to one side of an Eastern European conflict? They double down on war. The successful terror attack of Hamas on November 7, 2023, is still not fully understood, nor will it be understood for many years. There is never, you need to understand this, there is never an incentive in war to tell the truth. And while there are some journalists still left in this world, most who claim the title are propagandists searching for facts that justify their pre-existing narrative structure. Because what we understand on this show is that we're, in, in many respects, narrative-driven creatures. Which is to say, once we have a story, we look around the world and we put the facts in place to make sure that our, the story we tell ourselves makes sense. Story of what the world looks like, our place in it, and, you know, in many respects, our society's place. The, our place in society and our society's place in the world. So a lot of people call themselves journalists, but really they're propagandists. 
That's all they are. Maybe a lot of them put out propaganda I agree with. Maybe a lot of them put out propaganda I don't agree with. But that doesn't change the fact that that's a lot of what's act what actually passes for journalism. Especially the closer you get to major centers like cable news and places like that. Such is the way of things. History is written by the victors, after all. In the Ukraine-Russia conflict, only one side was considered acceptable to support. If you oppose the billions in aid sent to the Ukrainian government, you were an agent of the Kremlin. In the Israel-Palestinian conflict, however, there is, interesting enough, room to support both sides. While most senior politicians are closely aligned behind our closest ally, Israel, end quote, there are sizable dissenters on the left and the right who boldly, in many cases, support the Palestinian people and even some who will vocally support Hamas itself. I've already attempted to lay out the complicated history and ideology in episode 87. I encourage you to go listen to it. But suffice it to say, while most have felt comfortable joining one team versus the other, the rest of us are left in a position of uncomfortable apathy. See, there's, there's a certain, a lot of people talk about the binary, right? A lot of people will talk about political binaries and just the natural, the natural tendency from the human brain towards binaries. And they'll talk about it in terms of this conflict because they're like, oh, well, everybody's just trying to make it a binary. Well, and you know, for better or worse, there is some kind of a binary at play here, right? On one, you have two sides of a conflict here that are pretty well-defined. And personally, what I've seen looking out over the media landscape is there are very few people that I've witnessed besides yours truly. There are very few people, I feel, who have done a good job of actually remaining detached from the situation. There's a lot of people out there who will say, oh, I don't support Hamas, but, or I don't support Israel, but... And in some respects, it has to do with the fact that we treat these things like spectator sports, right? Like I was, I was out somewhere and they was like, oh, well, we support Israel in this house. I'm like, well, I'm on America's side. And they say, well, you mean Israel? So that's so Israel's side. And it's like, well, I'm not going to sit here and explain to you what an interesting statement that is. I'm just going to kind of chuckle and say, yeah, sure. I'm not looking for a fight here. It's not this, that's not, the, this is neither the time nor the place. So there's like this, I, I just find, I find it very interesting to point out to you that where, while there are people who I believe are somewhere in the middle, they still end up falling on one of the two sides of this conflict. And I think that's something inevitable. I think because there's a tendency when things like this happen to support one side versus another. Again, just, you know, I've said this a few times now, and I, 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 the more I say it, the less, the less irony I have it with. But, you know, there was, a, there was a meme circulating that said something to the extent of, you know, the Pope should call for a crusade, um, that the Pope should call for a crusade and that, you know, the Catholics should take over the Holy Land. And, you know, that's kind of funny to think about and historically accurate, we might say. But it occurred to me today that, you know, Vatican City is its own sovereign nation. And wouldn't it make a lot of sense if, if the Vatican City were to annex, let's say, the city of Jerusalem and 
given the incentive structure at play, wouldn't then, as a mediator to a historic conflict, wouldn't it be the case that, wouldn't it be the case that, uh, wouldn't it be the case that they might actually come to some sort of consensus? Of course, this is presuming that either side in this conflict want a consensus, which if you listen to the last episode we had, we know isn't the case, right? We have political Judaism fighting against political Islam, and this is a conflict as old as human history. It tra- if you want, it has biblical connotations. There's no way to understand this conflict without understanding those pieces. But given that ignorance is bliss, most people won't look for those answers. And most people are already entrenched inside of a, entrenched in an ideology and entrenched on a particular side. And isn't it interesting? This is what I'm pointing out. Isn't it interesting that in American politics, you can openly support either side of this conflict, where in Ukraine, Russia, there was only one side to support? But the rest of us, as I say, are left in a position of uncomfortable apathy. The conflicts breaking out are nothing new. In fact, they are some of the oldest known to man, as I said. Instead of leading the world to a better place, the political class, especially here in the United States, seems content on further robbing Americans to fund all sides of every conflict. And damn you if you think that money should be spent on Americans first. Hawaii had had massive wildfires. Supposedly, we have crumbling infrastructure all over this country. People are people do starve. There are homeless people and, and homeless people who actually deserve help, we might say. All of these things going wrong in our country. Retail theft is at its highest levels. In fact, some places have decriminalized the act itself. All of these things are happening. But the best course of action is not to take care of Americans first, but instead to send that money abroad. Why? Well, as I say up here, I think, maybe it comes up here. But as I said, as I'm fond of saying, it's what I should say. The government, the borders of government defends are its external borders. This is all to say, if you've been feeling demoralized and angry about the current state of affairs, whether that means you hate the genocidal Zionists or the genocidal Islamists more, that's the point. Your despair and anger feeds what we call the cult of American democracy and keeps you fighting your neighbor and enriching those who led us to this poisoned well. See, what I've, oh, what I've tried to do and the line of thinking I've tried to cultivate over the last few years in particular is always to try and stay away from the hot-button talking points and to approach these conflicts from a different vector in the hopes that by doing so, I can lead us to a greater understanding. That's what, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do. And what I've found, and it's funny, I haven't experienced this personally in my life since COVID. If, if for no other reason than this is one of those, this conflict in the Middle East in particular has been one of those things that has taken over every part of the news cycle, Right. You can't really run away from this story the way you can most stories, including some of the stories that we're going to get into later in the show. 
so we live in this we live in this certain we live in this certain mode right so the conflict begins and i sit down and i have a conversation with somebody and they say well you're not you're not you're not on the side of hamas are you no i'm just pointing out that there's i'm just pointing out that the government of israel effectively controls the area and if they wanted to they could have been engaging in diplomat and some kind of diplomatic thing well but but they just want to wipe them off the map okay so what's the solution well they're going to wipe them off the map we need to turn the entire arab world into a parking lot for israel okay so again we're just having genocidal groups talking to each other here's the interesting part going back to a point we made earlier in the stream what no, are quibbling and talking about this issue because most of us in this conversation are not close to the levers of power. Most of us don't have any kind of real control over what happens. We have the illusion of control in that we can vote and then we can put people in positions of power. We have that illusion of control, but that control, like I said, but, but it's illusory. It's not, it's not physical. It's not proximal. But for some reason, we've been trained to think that if we argue about it, things will get better. That if we gather in the street, things will get better. If we protest and beat each other up, that things will get better. Well, no, that doesn't make things better. But it does serve a purpose. It serves an end. It serves the people in power. We fund every side of every conflict in the United States, right? We send money to the PLA. Yeah, okay, it's not technically Hamas, but money is fungible. We send a lot of money to Israel. They're considered one of our closest allies. And again, we don't hear about, we hear, you know, I've got some, um, I've got, I've got some different stories pulled up here, right? Some different things that we can kind of go through that relate to this issue. But we, but we have, this is what I want to say. We have, we've always had this capacity of dueling narratives in the cults of American democracy. And I think that's part of what makes the system so strong and so resilient. It relies on a premise, a false premise, we might say, that we can unpack at a later time, but it relies on a premise that there can be multiple answers to the same question, which is actually a, which is actually a statement that I would agree with in the abstract. In practice, it generally means that we're following this continual leftward path and conservatives stand athwart history and yell stop, right? In a couple of years, in a couple of years, everything gets back to where it was before. In the last episode, I talked about how this is kind of like a hard reset, right? Suddenly everybody's kind of falling back into place to where they're supposed to be. Again, with some sizable dissenters, which is what we should note. Over the course of 20-something years in the terror wars, the West has now imported millions, millions of Muslims, maybe more. I happen to believe that people of, peoples of differing faiths can live somewhat in peace together provided they live inside a stable society and unpacking what unpacking how that society should look is interesting. And if you go to my previous comments about crusades, you might have an, a, an, an idea of where I'm going, at least personally. 
But there has to be a moral center in a society and other moral systems can exist within that ecosystem, provided they don't try to take things over. But of course, what we've witnessed, quite, quite chillingly, I would say, honestly, quite chillingly in some respects, is how much people have taken over. See, a lot of us who have paid close attention to the conflict in Israel and between Gaza and the Western Bank and the resettlements and the general problems, let's just say, the troubles, as a foreshadowing talking about Ireland later on, we understand that it's a little more complicated than just thinking that Israel is this beacon of democracy and civilization and then that the Palestinians are just dirty animals. Because let's be honest, that's what a lot of people believe. And I think in some respects, both sides actually believe that, including the people trying to defend the dirty animals, if you'll pardon my rehashing of that horrible idea to describe fellow humans. A lot of work has been done to make sure you believe that. And really, if you take a step back and you really like, like it's, it's insane, the level of propaganda at play here. And what's fascinating about it is that not a lot of it is coming from the top down of the U.S., right? But what we're seeing is how these various interest groups can lobby the American people and the sentiment of the American mind, if you will. And like I said, it's inescapable. You, I drive down the highway. I literally will see one one board, one billboard will say, "It's Hamas is your problem too," and then the next billboard will say, "Stop killing children in Gaza." We see it on the television, on the radio, in our social media. And for the people listening at home, a good rule of thumb is: the more convincing a random video is, the more you should be skeptical of its purpose. Like I've got, I've got a few things here. Like I thought this was interesting. So, you know, there was a lot to be, there was a lot said about, there was a lot said about this music festival that was attached, that was attacked. Now this is apparently saying that allegedly, and I'm going to say allegedly, because who knows, we're not going to know these things for forever, that it was actually Israeli, Israeli Apaches, you know, people in helicopters that killed a lot of the concert goers and not, and not the, and not the, not Hamas. Here's a fun little video of people talk, you know, people saying how they like seeing dead Israelis and they think it's great. And this is somebody who lives in the U.S. That doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound like the country I want to live in. Here's a video where you know this is a legend to show that it was a fake video put out by the Gazans trying to show that they're not actually getting killed. Of course, I've also seen the busted open heads of children. This happened in Uzbek, you might recall, and these things are up on the screen, but if you might recall, it happened in Uzbek. All these, a lot of Muslims like stormed an airport and got on a plane and tried to find, tried to suss out the Jew. Look, I, I got to tell you, I look at things like this and it doesn't exactly make me excited about the world. But as I said, these conflicts are older than time itself in some cases, Right? We can look at like this guy, Yair Lapid. He gave a speech that said, Oh, well, if you disagree with if you disagree with Israel, then you're really just anti-Semitic and people need to say it. And of course, the United States government, the United States government itself, or at least the House, they recently passed a bill, didn't they? Saying, stating that um 
that to be anti-Zionist, right, to oppose political Judaism is to be anti-Semitic, is to actually hate Jewish people. And if I'm being honest, I think some people are actually, uh, I think some people are, are diving a little too hard into that. Why? Because life is a lot easier if there's an, if there's an easy enemy to identify. And so for a lot of people, that might be the Jewish people. I don't know. I certainly see the problems of Zionism and its influence. I think if you live in a bad neighborhood and everyone's out to get you, you might think about moving instead of doubling down. But such is the nature of politics and conquering. It tends to be how it tends to be the way of things for humanity. So what's really changed in this conflict? Not a lot. Right? The Biden administration came out and said, ooh, ooh, the Biden, we got a ceasefire. As if that's some grand, it's like, we could stop the war tomorrow. We just say, hey, we're pulling the plug. We're not going to give you your money anymore. But of course, that might then mean that people aren't getting their money in the United States. And this brings up in what I think is an important question. Namely, who gets to have an identity? I'll be honest, guys. Identity is of great philosophical interest to me for many, many reasons. Chief among them, I guess, is because, because I've kind of witnessed this firsthand as somebody with something of a unique identity in American politics. This is a tweet, by the way, that I pulled up here that Thomas Massey is getting in trouble for because he's America first. He, he's a patriot. And Congress these days seems to care more about Zionism. But who gets to have an identity? See, one of the things that's it's interesting from my perspective that I can bring to this is there is something to be said for the fact, right? Let's let's set all these let's set all the let's set all these other ideas to the side for a moment. There's something to be said for the fact that when something hits close to home, you tend to get emotional, right? In the last episode, we talked about Ben Shapiro and how the guy who facts don't care about your feelings has certainly felt very strongly, very, very, very strongly about uh how what, what we might say is uh you know the current conflict and the and Americans opinions of Jews and Jews opinions of Arabs and so on and so forth and it, and it's understandable cuz he's got family over there assumably it's very tied to his culture and who he is as a person i know a little bit of something about this as somebody of cuban descent with the cat with the caveat that nobody gives a crap about Cubans in American politics. They just don't. We've become something of a useful voting block for people in South Florida. However, comma, they really have it's 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 not it's not a consequential country the way it once maybe was. Most people don't know much about Cubans or Cuban food or what Cuban culture was or what Cuban American culture is, blah, 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 blah. And that's okay. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just pointing out that I always I I had this I had this foundational story that I was raised with that most people I met on the street couldn't give two craps about. And much like the much like the Ukraine Russia conflict, the the Israel Palestine conflict is in many respects an ethnic one. 
and it is one unique to a certain area, we might say. But most of the people you see on TV and in major, and uh, most of the, a lot of the people in media have this close affinity to Israel in particular. And so this thing that's very close to them becomes very important for the rest of us precisely because they're the ones who tell you and point you in the direction of where you should go. We're going to we're going to explore some other some other areas of instability in the world. And I do think a lot of them actually sent circles around this question of who gets to have an identity. Because the answer for the last 20 to 30 years, certainly in the 21st century with the wars on terror, people, the West has not been allowed to have their identity. And in fact, to the extent that we can, we can create this image of the West, we're supposed to reject our identity as being awful, colonizing, racist, blah, 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 blah. Crossover here as well from the from, from the feminism angle of men and women, but just by and large, you're not supposed to feel good, right? You're supposed to be you're supposed to be ashamed of the fact that the school you went to had a Eurocentric view, even though ninety percent of the people in that school come from European background. But as America's projection of strength dwindles. And I, I think that's what we're witnessing. What we've no, what we've seen, I think one of the reasons for these conflicts, because again, these conflicts are old, some of them are just as old as time itself. I think these that's one of the reasons why we're starting to see these conflicts spring up because things are changing and the political class has no, I don't know, it's not that they don't have the incentive, they have no desire to change to suit the times. If you're asking me what they're trying to do, I would say simply they're just trying to they're just trying to make sure that they're at the top of the heap when everything goes to shit. And they're going to take as much money as they can in in the in the in the meanwhile. I don't think it I don't think it has I think there are some ideological people but I still think that most of the people are uh are doing, you know, just basically doing what it is. Let's check in with the chat. What's up Carlos? What's up? Jay. Um, let's see. Apache helicopters are a product of climate change, I suppose. Uh, I am not drinking at the moment. Let's see. Morality doesn't lead to peaceful coexistence. It curbs the worst. Okay, the camera's right there. It curbs the worst to less than worst. No, uh, yeah, but but uh, but in order for there to be some sort of peaceful coexistence of people, you need you need a, mor a moral thing at the center. I would say identity is a byproduct of individualism. Individual is wrong. I don't disagree. I don't agree with that because I think identity stretches out farther than individualism. An individualist identity, where you're always trying to identify yourselves as against your group instead of being a part of it, is the trick of the modern day that's actually led to a lot of problems. The center right can Carlos. I'm assuming the center right can do something. I don't know. And then of course, Jason says there's no center. There's only non-extremes. All depends on how you conceptualize things, guys. But I appreciate y'all hanging out in the chat.
today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.